Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Ah, anyways, uh, we're in this series on breakthrough prayer. We started last week talking about that there's a pattern of breakthrough, that when God does something great, when he leads us into revival, renewal, victory, the good things he has for us, sometimes there's a period before of struggle, enduring, holding on before the breakthrough. Jesus himself went through, we see this pattern of holding on and then God moving in Jesus's life. For instance, in you know the Garden of Gethsemane, he's crying blood and then he enters into the fullness of God's work for him in the cross. Like most things, our pattern of breakthrough is a little different from Jesus's pattern. He's, you know, an example, but we live it out a lot different. I remember a couple of years ago when we were living in our apartment renting, um, my youngest daughter brings me, we had been talking about, yeah, this is our landlord. We pay him to live here. So she brings me a dollar and she's like, mommy, I want to start paying rent just like you. So I'm like, well, a dollar. That's very sweet. Thank you so much. She said, yep, just like you, but I'm only going to pay rent when I want to. <laughs> so we follow Jesus's uh, example of breakthrough. It is a little different for us, of course. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to turn to scripture today. Jesus, in all things, we look to you. We look to you for the good that is coming. We look to you for today, Lord God. We look to you for victory and breakthrough. We look to you uh, in the midst of struggle uh, and enduring, Jesus. We look to you for hope and joy and peace and purpose, Lord God. And thank you that when we look to you, Jesus, we see nothing but love. You are kind and generous, Right now, 10.15 on a Sunday morning, you are kind and generous. Throughout our week, in the worst of the Monday mornings, you are kind and generous, Jesus. So thank you for meeting with us here, Lord God. We open our heart and our mind to you. Would you speak to us? We say, come Holy Spirit. Have your way in my life, my heart, my mind, my emotions right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So looking at how Jesus kind of models this pattern of breakthrough for us, when then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, became very hungry. See, I told you it would be a little different for Jesus. But during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. (coughs) But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. (coughs) Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, Jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. 
Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Most of us are not tempted to throw ourselves off of buildings, thankfully, to test the Lord. But he's like, he's putting this in context. No. Then the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And for Jesus, as a human being, this was the first time he had seen these things. Jesus was from little town of Nazareth. This was seeing New York City for the first time. Pretty impressive. I will give it all to you, he said if you will kneel down and worship me. (laughs) Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. The word of the Lord. (coughs) As we look at this, I think for us today, this is not a one-time... This is not just a one-time temptation for Jesus, though it was amplified. This was him leaning into actually how he was all the time. Throughout all of life, he had temptations coming at him in the opposite direction in this. But this was not just something he did once. This was establishing who he was and how he lived all of his life. It's not just a one-time temptation, but it's a lifetime posture. And Jesus kept this same attitude throughout all the years of his life. His first attitude was the attitude of not my will, but your will. Not of uh, short-term needs, but of God's long-term plan. Now, let's be very clear. I do not consider uh, not having eaten for 40 days a short-term problem. If I have not eaten by 12.30 today, that will be a short-term problem. If you have not eaten in four days, 40 days, you know exactly what God should do. The temptation is to know exactly what God should do. Duh, this is a no-brainer. I'm very hungry. What am I surrounded with? All I see are these things. Bingo. Make these stones into bread. It reminds us of the story of Esau in the Hebrew scriptures who came back from a long hunting trip, got home, front porch, here's his brother uh, with a big bowl of chili, smells amazing, give me some of that. Mm. Only if you give me your birthright, your inheritance as firstborn son, sure, trades him. Now, I know he was very hungry when he returned back to his house, but it was not a good trade. Satan is offering Jesus a payday loan. Give me your salary, and I'll give you immediate walking around money at a criminal interest rate. Russell Moore says that Jesus showed that not only would he not question God's provision, he would not quarrel with God's discipline. For the whole of his life, he would not question whether he will be fed, whether he will get his needs. He also would not argue with how God was going to do it. Our appetites tell us more than our spirit. Sometimes Jesus said, I have more faith than feelings. I have more faith than feelings. I will be led by the word of God, not my appetite We say, God, 
I will not trade in my calling for short-term comfort. I will base my life on your word, not my wants. Your will, not mine. And then Jesus' second temptation, that he, his attitude that he embodied, that he lived out the rest of his years of ministry, who he is for his breakthrough, it was to do things my way. To do things my way. And the second temptation, it's a funny one because it's this temptation to, you know, do something destructive and then God ha- have God cover you, right? It's forcing God. It's forcing God versus freely living in faith. The temptation here is grasping at Psalm 91, which is a wonderful psalm that we believe in and want to live into. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, if you make him your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near you. He will guard his angels concerning you. They will lift you up lest you stub your toe. It's like, remember, remember that verse? Take that verse and then twist it. Remember how God said you won't even like hurt your foot? Yeah, well, prove it. Force God to do something, take grasping at little straws to force God to do something your way. This is a temptation to God's plan without God's path. And we say with Jesus, God, I refuse the counterfeit. I refuse shortcuts. We will only follow your path to your plan. But then there is always how things look. And especially in our culture, this third one might be the biggest. This third one is a movement from my kingdom to your kingdom. From my stuff, my whole way of doing things to yours. Um, This is about looking good versus looking to God. Henry Nouwen calls this the temptation to be spectacular. Uh, And isn't being amazing a good thing? How fun. You go. Good job. As Christians, sometimes we can think that if we look good, God looks good. That is really not how it works. But pride can make us think that there are better offers. In pride, we think that we can handle looking real good. Uh, It's kind of like the lottery. Universally, winning the lottery is not a blessing to people's lives. The money is squandered amazingly fast. It results in divided families. But we think, you know what? I'm pretty sure I could buck the trend and I could handle a couple million dollars real well. Let me try. Pride makes us think that we could have it all, do it all, be it all, we want to refuse from the very beginning any better offer. There is no better offer than God's offer. Instead, we say with Jesus, Jesus, you are all, and I have everything I need in you. Here's a good test to see if something is... Uh, temptation, test, a shortcut. 
It's the if because test. If is a condition. It's conditional. You got to prove yourself. Because is a foundation, something that you get to live into. So, for example, uh, students here, let's try it out with y'all. If I am a good student, I better get all A's. Versus because I am a good student. I think critically. I read deeply. I think things through well. If I am a good employee, I've got to be the first one there and the last one home. Versus because I am a good employee, I, I work hard with the tasks that I am entrusted to. There's a freedom in the second one, and there's a lot of pressure in the first one. To try it out for yourselves, if you, if you would, for a minute this morning. Uh, think about where's the rub, where's the pressure point. Thinking about Sunday night, getting everything ready, Monday morning. Where's where's the rub? Maybe it's with being a mom, getting everything taken care of, uh, work. Uh, what says if? If I am a good, whatever you're calling us, <clears throat> if I am a good dad, if I am, well, then I gotta do this or that. How does it, how different does it feel to say because? Because I am a great teacher, because I am a great engineer, I get to. Do whatever. It's different, right? God speaks to us in becauses. Because we are called, because we are chosen, uh, because we are Jesus's own. For us as followers of Jesus, for us as a church community, it's not if. Like, well, if we're going to do great things for God, we better, you know, if we are called to breakthrough, we better do this and that. Because God has amazing things for us individually. We get to pray more. Because God has great things for our church community, we get to turn to him in persistent prayer. Because we are children of the living God, called and chosen and set apart, because our past does not define us and our future is secure, because victory is our portion and love is our way and Jesus has established all things for us, because God has done this, we get to live into breakthrough. I do believe, friends, that God wants more for us as a church community, more for us individually. And more is not the same. More is different. More does involve a change because God wants more for us. We lean into these things, not just as like Jesus, you know, one-time temptations, but lifelong attitudes and postures to position ourselves and live into the more that Jesus has for us. So I think there are a couple of things for us today that I really want to highlight for us. The first thing that we get to live into is that we get to live into 
expectancy, not expectation. You think about Jesus, he was in such a hard spot as he went to his, his, his breakthrough. He was hungry, he was tired, and in that, there was a temptation for him to know exactly what God should do and make it happen. Jesus chose to live by the word of God, and that meant saying, even here, even in the midst of this desert where I am very hungry, I will trust God with expectation that God meets my needs. I will not force uh, uh, the, these stones into bread. I will have a posture of expectancy, not stones of expectation. And I think expectations sometimes when we come to God are stones that weigh us down and that hinder us from fully receiving what God has for us. For instance, uh, I was part of a church uh, during seminary for a shorter period of time. Really liked it. Good church. Um, I got a lot from it. Um, but at one point in the summer, it was a smaller church. Uh, the pastor, a UPS guy, came to the pastor's door and they started chatting a little bit as he's delivering, you know, what he has to deliver and um, prayed together. And this guy, like right there on the, the doorstep, you know, had a really amazing encounter with God, you know, prayed to start following Jesus. Uh, really great. So next Sunday, pastor tells this story. I'm listening. I'm like, so encouraged. Like, that's awesome. Someone just came to your house. And, you know, I could say more than just thank you when the guy says sign here. This is really encouraging. I mean, maybe not the Amazon workers. I think they're assigned like three seconds to sprint to and from your house. It's ridiculous. But I'm thinking through all of this, like, so encouraging. And then the pastor starts talking about how God's going to bring more people like to our doorstep uh, to come to follow God. Great. And then the pastor says, I believe it's going to be 500 people this summer. I'm like, we're sitting at like 50, but okay. Um, and then the next Sunday, um, there's a sermon on mass conversion. And then I didn't stay there more than like four or five months after that. But uh, 500 people did not come to our church that Sunday <sighs> or that summer. Like, listen, guys, I, I commend the faith. I commend the faith. Um, that expectation, ultimately, I'm not sure if it was helpful. An expectancy of God moving, of God bringing people to us in surprising ways, that I was all on board with that. And maybe God needs to work on my faith. I can still process that. I don't know. But the expectation, I am not sure was totally helpful. Um, where am I? Yes. James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer in their book, Longing for Revival, say, expectations demand a certain result. Expectancy trusts and hopes. Expectations create anger and disillusionment in our faith when they aren't met. Expectancy is an openness to any outcome God desires. Expectations force God into a box. Expectancy allows God to break out. We need to kill our expectations or they will kill our faith. Ouch. Um, 
The choice to expectancy transforms us. We are liberated from the deceptions of false hope to find a resurrection waiting for us in a revived hope in God. And I think this difference is just really helpful to me. That when we are in a struggle, when we're in that breakthrough, when we need so much from God, we don't want to say, this stone, bread, now. When we are in a time of prayer for our church, saying, God, we expect you to, to move we don't want to say 500 people by the end of summer. We want to say, God, whatever you want, how you want, when you want it. And then we get to say, oh boy, God's going to do what he wants, how he wants it, when he wants it. It's an open-handed posture of trusting and receiving that really frees us to lean into more, to have faith, uh, and to have some joy as we expect God to move. <clears throat> with all of this, we do it with humility. Because we are called for breakthrough, we live with humility. Augustine said humility isn't one of the virtues. Humility is not the best or highest virtue. It is the foundational virtue. And without humility, none of the other virtues can exist. We can't love purely or freely without some humility. Patience gets hard without some humility. And humility opens the door for God to work freely. We have to be humble if we are allow, if we are to allow God to work however He wants to in our lives. Expectations define what we will let God do. Expectancy lets us wait and allow God to, what he, to do what He's going to do. Humility opens us up to receive what God's going to do. Instead of putting ourselves in a posture of prideful competition with God, humility just opens our hands to receive whatever God's going to do. <clears throat> and then lastly, and this, Jesus didn't have to do this, but as we talk about tempting and uh, Jesus's path, we do. Because we are loved and called and chosen for breakthrough, we get to repent. Repentance means to change, to change. And uh, actually, one of the primary purposes of the Hebrew prophets is to cause the people of Israel to repent and to change. So if I look in my Bible, that's about like... um this much of the Bible uh, is to provoke people to be like, wait, that's an option. I want to change. I want to get that. So it's a lot of our Bible and it's a lot for us. Um, Dominique Gilliard says the church's greatest failures are all because we have apologized, not repented. Because we have apologized, not repented. And repentance isn't being sorry for what you've done, but being sorry that you're the kind of person who does those kinds of things. Because listen, I'm not actually that sorry. I ate the whole package of chocolate last night. I mean a little bit, but realistically, my body will filter it out and uh, it happens. What I am sorry about 
is that I'm the kind of person who looks for happiness in the bottom of a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Um, happiness is found in the top half of the pint of Ben and Jerry's. Um, and I am sorry that I lied last week. I am. No one was hurt. What I am truly very, very sorry for and want to very much change is that I am the kind of person who tells little lies instead of owning it and explaining the whole thing. I'm sorry when I, I lose my, my temper and yell. It was not a nice event. What I really want, what I'm really sorry for and really want to change is my anger and impatience. Repentance means to change, and I, I want to change not just a 10-minute action, but a lifetime person. And so we have the opportunity to repent. And confession is different than being caught. Confession is good. Being caught is less good. Uh, confession is an opportunity. And I think there's something so empowering about saying, Y'all might not see this. I see this. Um, maybe I could kind of get away for, with it. It'll take a toll on me. But you know, I am going to name it, bring it forwards, own it, and confess it. It's so empowering. If we can deal with our own stuff, you know, there, there ain't nothing we can't deal with. To know your own faults and to expunge them, uh, in your own kind of volition, I think is incredibly strengthening and empowering to our souls and to us as people. In the Bible, repenting is connected so with something. Do you guys know what repentance is connected with? Tears, not having any fun, staying in on Friday nights. Um, repentance is connected with the coming kingdom of God. A couple of verses Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We repent because God is on the move. We confess and say sorry and change because God is moving closer and good things are about to happen. This is not about God wanting us to punish us. Uh, God is not punishing us. God has already taken the punishment upon himself in the cross. There's no, no punishment. It's not about appeasing God. It's about making ourselves available to God. Repentance is cleaning up because God has special purposes for us. Second Timothy says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourselves pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. I have here uh, two cups, uh, not my own personal, I won't take that out of the equation. Um, 
This cup, uh, I believe it was free. Uh, we, we like some of those kid meal cups, uh, and it has worked well for a long time. Durable plastic, uh, it will hold water. Um, I drink out of this cup frequently. Pour a little juice into it, it's all good. Perfectly happy with it as a utensil, um, and I will not throw it away anytime soon. If you come over to our house, however, I will not put this cup out for you. This, uh, I think my mother-in-law gave me, uh, it makes a nice sound when you clink it. This is what I would put out for you if you come over, because it's for a special purpose and a special use. It's forged for this. I, I did not clean it properly, but it's got a couple of fingerprints on it. Um, but it is set apart for a special purpose. Both of them are cups. Both of them work just fine. Perfectly happy with both of them in different ways. One of them is set apart for a special purpose. And I think, friends, that's an invitation for us today. To come to Jesus. Maybe we've got some things we really need to repent for. Like, God, I know this. It's there. I know it's there. Whatever it is whether it's greed, whether it's a little bit of not quite right with the money, whether it's pride, sloth, whatever it is, I know it's there. But you know what? It's working okay. God loves me. I get away with it. Um, use it every day. Uh, I'm valued. I'm loved. God's not throwing me away. I think there's also an invitation and an opportunity for us, especially as we lean into breakthrough, especially as we say, God has more for us. God has good things for us. We have expectancy for what God is going to do and humility for how he's going to do it to say, God, clean me up. Set me apart. Consecrate me for special purposes. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. There is no condemnation. There is just God's love. There is no condemnation. There's just invitation for what God's doing, for what God is always doing. God's good promises to you have never been off the table. They've always been available at a moment's notice. But especially in this time and this season, friends, I just really believe that God is saying he has special purposes for us. And we want to receive them. We want to receive them. Mm -hmm.